0: Hey, tonight felt like a, an opportunity for Neka to spread his wings a little bit. Uh, did, did you feel like he did
1: some stuff tonight? And did, does Lou unlock some things for him? I, they, Lou is really, I think, taking him uh, under his wings. Uh, they they played uh, together the, the other day in a scrimmage. And Lou has been talking to him ever since. You know, he, he knows that uh, that's going to be the big uh, that he'll play with uh, on the floor. You know, so... Angles of screens, uh, when to set a screen, you know all of that. He's communicating with Big O, and uh, it's just it's really been good to uh, to see, uh, you know, uh, Big O is listening to uh, what he's saying, and you know that's that's the guy who's going to free him up, you know. So uh, the 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 combination of the two uh, has been pretty good, and Big O, I think, in the last couple games, he's given us good minutes. He's really given us good minutes. Uh, coming off the bench, uh, defending, rebounding the basketball. Uh, you know, he got, I think an illegal screen called on him uh, tonight, but we want him setting screens and uh, he'll get better at that.
0: Hey there, welcome to ATL and twenty nine of Peach Tree Hoops podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Shenard. I'm here with Glenn Willis of Peach Tree Hoops. Welcome, Glenn.
2: How you doing, Kevin?
0: I think this is the first time that we've uh, potted since the Lou Williams for Rajon Rondo uh, trade with some picks and cash thrown in there. Uh, what did you think about that deal?
2: Well, I mean, I, I liked it even before we saw Lou play these last two games. I just I think that uh, Lou is just a better fit. I know that a lot of the fans and observers around the team were excited to see The leadership that Rondo could bring, Um, and sounds like that was something the players have spoken about, the coaches have spoken about. um, That Rondo did, in fact, bring that. But for me, when you look at the way the team is constructed, the scoring workload that Trey carries, in addition to his creation as a passer, when he goes off the court, it's just so hard to replicate that offensive. Workload that Trey handles when he's on the court, and I just think that in situations like we saw in the last few games, Trey's in foul trouble. You know, Lou can replicate a lot more of what Trey gives them from a usage standpoint, I think, but also the kind of usage he can create his own shot. He can, um, you know, in a pinch when the shot clock short, he can, you know, find some way to get a decent shot up. Um, and so I just think he's. Um, uh, the kind of guard—I mean, I'll call him a point guard because he's close enough to that for me—but um, that can just provide a lot more continuity uh, to the the plan that exists when Trey's on or with the starting group, and you know when that um, when the second unit comes on when Trey sits. If they miss, if Trey sits because of an injury, we saw that in Friday night's game. I just think that there's a lot more continuity for Trey to Lou. Than, than there ever would have been from trade to result.
0: Yeah, uh, I I completely hear your point. And for me, sometimes it's helpful to see the same situation in others' plights. And uh, the Hawks have had a couple of games against Sacramento recently. And you you look at them and it's like, okay, well, what happens when De'Aaron Fox goes to the bench? And it's like, Sacramento is this like completely different team. Totally. And I think the Hawks had a lot of the same issues. Uh, it's just kind of helpful to kind of reinforce it and see it in another team. Um, but yeah, it's like, you know, I think as much as they had different styles, I think Rajon was brought in in a lot of ways to to help Trey. I think that was a Trey move, bringing him in. And honestly, you know, Trey probably needs Rajon less than Onyeka needs Lou Williams. Like, Onyeka's got a lot of talent. He can do a lot of things, but he's in an awful situation. He's barely 20 years old. He got no summer league. He got no training camp. Uh, He was hurt at the beginning of the season. Uh, You know, he just got the worst of all worlds. He's in this crazy pandemic season where the teams really don't practice as much as they might otherwise. And, you know, he just needed a little boost, and and that's sort of a, a... a pick-and-roll partner, somebody who gets him the ball in the right sets in these pick-and-roll sets, and they honestly just weren't running that much of it uh, with Rondo. Rondo's not doesn't look that comfortable in those kind of plays, and I think it's what a Okonwu needs at this point.
2: Yeah, I, I agree, and it, it may be surprising to some Hawks fans and others that I, I think it's oversimplified for some people in that they see Rondo as a player who's – always perfectly setting up his other teammates on the court and that they only see Lou as a guy who's only kind of able to get his own shot and that's just not what really either of them are you know Rondo um you know the Hawks bigs are built for the pick and roll you know and Rondo is just at a point I think you and I've talked about this a little bit where he he just doesn't seem to want to run the pick and roll anymore. you know it's it's pretty it's more taxing than dribbling and letting all the balls, all the screens happen off ball and you know all that sort of stuff and that's that's okay but Lou can still run the pick and roll i think as as well he had as he has maybe ever and that really suits what uh kongu can can do so i think that's a great point it's a great fit um and then you know we saw a lot of it in, in the in the win with the pelicans on friday night that lou played on ball he, you know when for example, when Bogdanovich was off, when Bogdanovich came back on, Lou played off ball and let Bogdanovich kind of create on ball, and just that he has more versatility than Rondo has as well, and so I, I do think he's a great uh, match for the Hawks' fives because you know they're all built to basically dive to the rim after the after screens, and that's what you know Lou uh, is is very well capable of doing. Um, and then just that that versatility that I suggested. I you know, I do think that the strides that we've seen in Trey this year defensively, I have to think that Rondo had something to do with that. Rondo was an undersized, crafty, heady, you know defensive player. And I, I you know, me being the optimistic person that I am, I want to see the value in having had Trey kind of get a chance to to work with Rondo um, and, and to see that impact probably defensively. But for where the Hawks are right now, in the standings, the amount of season that's left, I think Lou is just so brings so much more punch uh, in, in in the areas that they really need from that position than Rondo did. So hopefully, we got kind of the best of both. You know, Trey got to learn from Rondo all the way up to the trade deadline. At the trade deadline, they got the better fit and to come in and play with them the rest of the year. That's that's so. I'm hoping this works out um, as well as it looks like it might to me. And they get all the sweeteners,
0: too. They get the picks. They get the cash. They get off the guaranteed money for Rondo for next year. Right. So they got all the little perks in that deal, too.
2: Yeah, and they have Lou's bird rights. So if they want to bring him back, you know, if there's a good experience, if the team has a good experience, Lou has a good experience, they want to run it back, they don't need to uh, get under the cap to do that. So that's good that's another uh, good thing. With Rondo, obviously, like you said, they were stuck with that, um, you know, owing him that contract for next year with Lou. They have the flexibility. If they really need to prioritize their spend, you know, in some other way they have that flexibility. If Lou works out really great and wants to come back, they, they don't need to get into the cap to make that happen. So it's, it's, you know, in my mind, I, I know, um, it wasn't like this big trade deadline, you know, deal that a lot of fans of teams hope for, but I think it's one of Travis's better deals he's done since he's been in the job.
0: Uh, the Hawks digital team did their thing at the end of March. They pick a sixth man of the month, and for the last month it was Nathan Knight. Uh, have you called the Italian embassy yet?
2: I have not called the Italian embassy, um, but <laughs> we could file a... a protest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that was well. I, I have to admit, I didn't even I didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> And and I think the Haas Digital team does awesome work, so you know I'm not uh, dissing them at all. I just didn't know this specific thing (laughs) was a thing. But um, I
0: think they've done a couple of months of it. I'm trying to think who even got it last. No
2: idea. No clue.
0: I I don't have the the archive of past winners.
2: Yeah, i i I'm not even I'm not even sure. Like we did a Google search, which. Which page you find the sort <laughs> of results? <laughs> it just seems kind of an obscure, obscure thing. But, um, but hey, you know, you and I, you and I—I I think the last time we talked, I think we talked a little bit about two guys on two-way contracts. So you know, nothing wrong with marketing uh, a guy who's you know done in done some good work in limited minutes. So I, I'm not gonna, um, you know, suggest that Knight shouldn't get any attention at all. I just didn't know that, that was a thing. <laughs>
0: Fair enough. Uh, it, it's it's the the Hawks' season, season has had this uh, strange trajectory. Uh, you know, last night in that game against New Orleans, they had five completely different starters than the team who started opening night. Um, I think early in the season, due to familiarity, injuries, and whatnot, it was all the Hawks' returning players. Who were having successful seasons? Trey had some nice stretches early. Uh, John ha- had some great play early, and now John's hurt. And really, over the last course, you know, the course of the last month, Gallinari and Bogdanovich have really turned their seasons around. Um, and I guess if, if if I had to ask you a question, and you know, pointing out to completely avoid recency bias because they've they've taken different trajectories over the last few weeks. Uh, Compare and contrast the games of Bogdan Bogdanovich and Kevin Herter. Uh, What do they both do well? What do they do differently? Uh, And again, sort of taking the big picture, because Bogdanovich has had just a great couple of weeks, and and Herter uh, hasn't had the greatest couple of weeks, but to his credit, uh, and really, against all odds, he's sort of been the healthiest hawk all season.
2: He has been, and to, you know, in Herder's defense, I think I'll say that he's he really should have been, you know, playing off the bench all year long. If not, if not for injuries, that's very likely the way that it would have looked. And, and I, you know, maybe this is just my optimism, but, but I thought he had a pretty decent start playing off the bench in the very beginning of the season before the injuries hit. Um, and so he's had to kind of scale his, himself up to bigger roles when there have been absences and then at other times like, you know, here the last couple of games uh, or as Bogdanovich has gone back in the starting lineup um, before um, Herter went back in to the starting lineup on Friday night for the Pelicans. I mean, it's hard for, I think, a young player to scale up to a bigger role and then down to a smaller role. It's, it is kind of the nature of guys that are in that, you know, six, seven, eight night spot on the roster to to need to be asked to do that you know with some regularity, but for me you know I see people criticizing Kevin, and and especially I see them saying well Bogdanovich is just so much better. I was like, well Bogdanovich is twenty eight. Herter's what twenty? I think Herder's twenty three. And Bogdanovich has had a ton of you know play you know um, international international opportunities even before he came over and started playing with Sacramento. Um, you know, so it really shouldn't be a surprise that McDonough is a more advanced player than, than Herter. But for me, if, if to contrast him, the biggest thing for me is, is just that McDonough is stronger physically. You know, we've seen him, even the last few games, uh, handle, you know, power forwards in the in the post. And you know, it's not that he's I, going to be a shot. He down, had you know, one time
0: in the Phoenix game. It's like, oh, crap. Oh, Aiton's good. Oh, wait. No, wait. Bogey stood him up.
2: <laughs> yes. And 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 Bogdanovich, you know, he he understands sort of the incremental value of situational defense. It's like if I can get him from eight feet out to like thirteen feet, you know, from the basket when he catches the ball, you just set yourself up to create a longer shot for that player, or or to have that player further far enough from the basket that if they turn and start to work past you, there's more time and space for help defense to to arrive. So just a lot of the nuances and stuff you'll see. Bogdanovich handled that defensively. Now he's he's pretty rough at the po- uh, at the point of attack, defending ball handlers in space. He just doesn't have the lateral movement. Not that Herder is a A plus in that category, but Herder definitely moves in space defensively better than Bogdanovich. I
0: and mean, he's just, just a hard. lighter frame, so you know, you, you it's like a trade off. You know, For he, sure. What he what he loses in strength, he gains in quickness.
2: Right, and then you know he has that. That narrow frame also helps you navigate screens a little bit more easily as well um but with the ball Bogdanovich is much stronger with the ball uh much more secure with the basketball not that her her is like always turning the ball over but you can just tell when you watch bogdanovich uh when you know they run a lot of um what they call the stack series which, which sets up their wings typically for a pick and roll from around the three-point break you can just see the footwork and where he puts the ball, like on his left hip, and the and the jab he'll use to kind of set up his defender. He just, you know, he's just so much more precise and so much more developed, and all of the little kind of ball craft and footcraft that goes into to that. So, but you know, Herter might be every bit of that five years from now, and he's the same age that McDonoughich is now. You know, it's um, you know I know a lot of people are asking questions around. Well, what does Herter's next contract look like and how does that fit, you know, the Hawks cap sheet and things like that, you know, that's a, to me is a completely different consideration, but, you know, I, I just think that, um, you know, like, to kind of take it back to where we were a few minutes ago with Lou, where the Hawks are right now in this season, where they're in the standings, the amount of season that's left, Bogdanovich as the starting shooting guard is going to naturally, I think, give them so much more than what Herder is capable of giving them right now, you know, uh, in the season, and I think Herder playing on the second unit with Lou's flexibility to play on and off ball, that Herder's going to be a great match, I think, with with Lou, um, to be able to you know pick and choose which of those two is creating. The, oftentimes, the, depending on which defender is matched up on each of them, and you know, and things like that. So it's a great situation, but to me, Vaganova is just stronger defensively, more physical, stronger with the basketball. Um, a lot more sure of what he's doing. And to me, that has to do with him having a, little, a bit more size to work with, naturally speaking, um, but just uh, five more years worth of reps and many different kind of basketball environments, given all of the kind of the European uh, background that Donovan just had too. So that, that's, what I, that's what I see. Is there anything else that um, kind of jumps out to you when you compare the two? No, I, I and
0: actually... I think kind of a similarity I think both of them uh, get a little more comfortable when you give them playmaking opportunities i th- I think they both find a comfort zone when they have the ball in their hands i think if you if you try to use either one of them off the ball too much, I think they just kind of lose contact a little bit lose feel um you know when you mentioned Herter starting the season it felt like you know when he was coming off the bench and they had whatever cohort of players they had uh, back in December, they, they needed him to make a lot of plays off the bench. And they, they put the ball in his hands a lot. And that seemed to be something that helped him get comfortable. Even if he isn't necessarily the greatest ball handler, he you know he's a good shooter and tends to make good decisions. And I think it just helps him find a groove in the game. And I, I, I think we've seen kind of the same thing with Bogdanovich sort of before and after his injury. Uh, in terms of you know having the ball in his hands more and getting into a comfort zone because of it. But actually, I have a question for you. Kind of an X's and O's thing, and it, and it kind of ties into Bogdanovich's defense. So l- let me see if I can set the stage correctly. So Phoenix game on the road in Phoenix. Um, for most of the game, the Hawks tried to have trade guard bridges, Right, yep. And it seemed like on every play, Trey was guarding Bridges. Uh, that put Bogdanovich on Chris Paul a bunch. And then there was a play with I want to say maybe two minutes left uh, after some sort of stoppage. So the the Suns are inbounding the ball in their own half of the court. Chris Paul is inbounding it, and they put Trey on him. Do they do that because they expect some sort of action where Paul will inbound it and go get the ball and then there'll just be an auto-switch on that first action?
2: It, that could be. I The thing for me... Because that was like um, the only
0: time I saw all game I saw uh, Trey guarding Chris Paul was just sort of on that inbounds.
2: And that was after a timeout, right?
0: After Yeah, after a timeout. And what ended up happening... and damn it, if this probably wasn't like Chris Paul whispering in his ear. I don't know if you remember this. Bridges, Paul, you know, they inbound the ball. I think it goes to Bridges. Paul goes to him. And Bridges does a fake dribble handoff, screws up the action and just walks into the lane by himself because he faked the dribble handoff.
2: Yeah. Yeah, so in terms of um, what, that was about putting him on the inbounder my guess is that wherever uh chris paul was going to play as the inbounder or otherwise that um trey was probably going to be matched up on him and if you kind of watch the whole game one of the things that phoenix was doing when we saw it was obvious, it's impossible to miss that they were letting bridges attack trey in the post and bridges was you know more solid in his post game than I than I thought. And, you know, and I know he's got, you know, decent ball skills, but I don't recall having ever seen him kind of work consistently in the post like that. And, you know, but it's one of those situations where kinda of on paper, Nathan Millen was probably like, You're gonna take the ball out of the hands of Chris Paul and Devin Booker? Okay, we'll live with whatever you know Bridges can do in the post until he proves to you like, oh, that's not gonna work. And I think it's I think it either got to that point or almost got to the point. But it uh, But when Bridges either wasn't on the court or when they weren't doing that, one of the things that Phoenix was doing was trying to make Trey the weak side helper at the rim. And a
0: lot of teams do that.
2: A ton. And and the Hawks did a great job of when Phoenix put two offensive players on the weak side... Trey and the other defender would work out that Trey would end up aligning up on the higher offensive player and the other Hawks defender would be lower so that Trey wouldn't get put in that position to be the low man, quote low man, and end up helping at the rim. I think my guess, and this is just my instinct, is that McMillan thought, oh, we're coming out of a timeout special situation. They're going to put Chris Paul as the only player on the weak side and make Trey that helper without having a second defender over there to be able to switch off. And I think that my guess is that McMillan thought that because they were trying so damn hard the whole game to get Trey to be the the weak side helper. So that's that's what I was thinking. Um, you know, if if that's not right, my guess is keep Trey out of screens on the inbound pass itself potentially. Um, but you know, they we think back. I remember back to the Dallas game. The Hawks haven't been averse to you know, putting Trey into ball screens and critical possessions when he got blown up by Willie Colley Stein. Um, so my guess is that they were just trying to keep Trey out of ended up uh, out of a position of having to be the helper at the rim, out uh, of a position where they had needed to have a stop. So that's the best answer I have. Uh,
0: what, were, what were your takeaways uh, for this four and four road trip? Uh, and I just kind of want to point out sort of, the Hawks really didn't lose any ground, I think over the course of this trip. I think they were in fourth or fifth, probably fifth. Uh, by the time they played their first game uh, on the trip. And they they come back to the East uh, after they won their game last night. They were back in fifth again.
2: Yeah, and just, I think, one game out of fourth. I, I don't I don't know how the Hornets keep winning without Ball now and now without Hayward. But, but, you know, maybe James Borrego just needs a lot more credit as a coach uh, for what he's doing there in Charlotte. I watched them a ton early. Um, because the, the teams that I watch apart from the Hawks tend to be the upcoming opponents for the Hawks. And so I watched them quite a bit because the Hawks had two kind of games in, in the same week, I think is it's earlier, but I haven't checked back in on them in a little while. So maybe there's just something going on there. I'm not seeing, um, but um, so, but four and four, I think is a great outcome. I think you and I recorded just before the trip and we even said three and five wouldn't be terrible you know, because of how daunting the schedule was. Now, we, now, I think we look back at okay, LeBron went out um, early in the second quarter, and then the Clippers game, they had that, you know, really well in hand and then lost that. So you can look back and feel like, yeah, they probably should have got a fifth win, you know, at some point, or even some of the four wins, um, you know, were a little easier than we would have expected, you know, looking at the schedule ahead of time. But that's, I mean, I, I i know I say this all the time, but I think Hawks fans don't realize that the types of situations the Hawks find themselves in, you know, facing opponents that have three or four key players out, uh, going into games without their own key that every team in the league is dealing with that this year. It's not, it's not a—you you know, it's to the Hawks. So they deserve credit for the four wins. A four and four is a great outcome. Sure, we all would have loved to have seen them hang on in that Clippers game and, you know, come out five and three in even better shape. But, um, you know, I think Nate said after the game, he'd never been on an eight-game road trip in his whole career. (laughs)
1: You know,
2: that's how rare it is. And so to come back 500, especially having not had Hunter, you know, basically for the whole trip um, and uh, and other, you know, J.C. went down, you know, and they still – you know, had a kind of a strong finish to the trip. So four and four is great. I, I like where they are. Um, you know, I'm I'm shocked that Capella didn't miss more time than he did. You know, after playing I think 44 minutes on Thursday, he turned around and put in like 30 on Friday. I was shocked he even played. So you know, just a lot a lot of good stuff. And you know, to go four and four, and Trey didn't shoot the ball very well on the on the trip either. You know. He looks to me like maybe he's hitting a little bit of a wall like any, you know, I think any undersized guards and graders are going to be on a season like this where there's, you know, such a condensed schedule. But uh, their defense was just so reliable the whole the, the whole trip, you know, and that's um, I think it's uh, you know, it's a good sign. But I think four and four is a great outcome, even if everyone that was really, really felt like that Clippers game was, you know, one that they absolutely should have held on to which would have put him at five and three and, and, and tied for fourth I guess at the end of the trip is how it would look uh, uh, I feel like
0: I need to write about Clint Capella pretty soon um, <laughs> I don't even know how to say this like It's obvious that he does so many things for them. But at the same time, there's something about the aesthetic. I don't know if it's like just the sort of the rushed opportunities when he's on offense close to the rim. There's just something that's, I don't know. Like, I I, I get what he's doing. Like, the offensive rebounding is obvious. Um, You know, I think he does a good job deciding between when to challenge a shot when to focus on the defensive rebound? Um, yeah, I don't think he gets that wrong very often. Uh, he's, and so you know when you do that and you're in the league leaders in blocks, uh, you know you're probably doing a pretty good job. But at the same time, there's just these little lulls and spurts. I don't that are just kind of dissatisfying and it's hard to put your finger on it. What, what am I missing? How do I verbalize this? Am I crazy?
2: I I don't think you're crazy. I think it's one of those situations where he's so impactful, but it looks like it wouldn't take much more for his impact to be even more, you know, even on another level. Um, you know, his, for example, his number of shooting at the rim, they're all, you know, they're whack because he gets so many tip shots at the rim on offensive rebounds and stuff that it's hard for me to say he's average, you know, for a center at the rim versus below average. He's probably, I don't think he can be above average. Um, But, you know, he's first in rebounding. He's the best offensive rebounder uh, in the league. The last time I checked, he's individually second in second chance points um, in the league. And he's third in block shots, um, you know, in the league. And then you'll see him make plays. Like last night on one sequence, he blocked the shot right at the rim on defense and sprinted the whole, like a whole 90 feet rim to rim. And uh, that was when I think Godwin hit him with a behind the back pass. And you know, Capella took the, the, took a foul. and went to the free throw line and made both free. He's, suddenly he's a good free throw shooter out of nowhere, <laughs> but you know, I, I, it's one of those things where it's like, he's so good. He's so valuable. He brings so much positive impact. A lot of it comes through, effort and commitment to you know doing things that aren't always um kind of glamorized and modern nba but then there are times where you're like how did he miss that shot like how did it, you know so it, it, i think he brings so much but to your point kind of aesthetically it looks like it wouldn't take a lot more sometimes for him to kind of become you know a, a, a dominant player i i He's really, really good. I don't think we can use the term dominant, you know, in terms of the way he impacts the whole game. He's, um, I don't know what other dis- descriptor I would use, but he's not in that, amb- obviously not in that Embiid and Jokic, you know, class of centers. And, you know, but he's like right behind it. Right. I mean, I know like the average um, kind of smart fan would laugh if you tried to comp him with Bam. But in terms of impact, you know... Yeah, he, the
0: TV right, broadcast keeps saying Defensive Player of the Year, and it's like, he he's really good. Like, he's right. way above average, but he's not the Defensive Player of the Year, probably.
2: <laughs> right. I mean, there's this guy named Rudy Gobert that's really good. Um, they haven't lost then, a home
0: game since uh, uh, John Stockton
2: retired. Right. And then... <laughs> it feels like it. Um, and, I mean... And then I start to think, well, he's kind of, it feels like he's having a season where he should be a no brainer for at least second team all defense. And then I think, well, when you look at the centers in the league, I don't know that he's even going to get there, you know, because Gobert's going to be the, you know, I think the obvious first team. And Bede maybe hasn't played enough games to kind of, you know, get the votes. Um, he's got some, Bam's... Uh,
0: iner- uh, yeah, some inertia, though. He probably will get it, I think.
2: Yeah, I think so too. And then Bam's, you know, a really high profile, you know, guy on on a team that, you know, you know, went really far, (laughs) you know, last year and was absolutely critical and and did big work on on a big stage last year. That's going to carry over and affect the voting. And so it seems kind of crazy, you know, for Hawks fans. I think like he might not make all defense for even first or even second team. And, you know, I, I think it's probably less likely that he does, you know, but they'll of, you know
0: they 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 tally the votes, and you'll see also receiving votes, you know he might be fourth
2: right. He may be the top vote getter that didn't get in, you know, just because of how the position kind of stacks up there. but but yeah, I mean, he's i mean and this is another I think it was a great deal by Travis, you know i I think a lot of the fans I too, are kind of terrified about what he might do on draft night <laughs> on any given draft night. Even though he's been good uh, and not positive overall, you know, going back to JC, but with Capella, you know, I mean, if we could just all go back to what we expected from him on the day we heard about Capella getting acquired, he has exceeded expectations, I think, pretty far, you know, in terms Uh, of what. It was was, like
0: a multi team trade, but I think what the Hawks gave up was the the draft trade. The draft pick that came that became Pokushevsky, a second round pick, and Evan Turner. Right. That's not a bad trade.
2: <laughs> yeah, and they and that was they took back Crab, which was an expiring just like Turner. Sure, so they had to
0: pay pay. But they yeah, they took back Crab, but they were already sending out Turner, so.
1: Right.
2: Yeah. So um, yeah. So I mean. I think it was a it was a great deal, but I you know I, I, I'm right there with you. There are times there's like, Oh, come on, Clint, you know, get put that ball in the basket or um, you know, if he picks up kind of a, a tic tac foul that he kinda of frustrates you. He's a big man, he's constantly moving, constantly working, you know, both ends of the court. Yeah, I don't before. think he
0: honestly I think he does a good job staying out of foul trouble, like I agree. I think yeah. I think that's like a strength.
2: Yeah, for sure. But but I, I just it, – it's he's one of those weird players that does so much and is, is good and impactful in so many different ways. But the ways where it looks like he falls a little short looks like it would be so easy for those to be kind of correctable areas that it, it kind of leaves you wanting a little bit more, you know? Um, yeah, I
0: wonder without... if, like, you know, being in Houston and the way they played and – uh, how obsessive they were with spreading the floor i wonder if he just feels a little more claustrophobic this season and it's i mean he does a good job operating space i guess like the impromptu stuff like you get a rebound uh 10 feet from the basket you know you get an offensive rebound okay well, what are you gonna do it feels like those are the plays where he just he just feels a little jumpy like he's just trying to Get that shot off too quickly before somebody will block it, and it's like you had more time than that. You know, uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, and they, I, I, and gotta, then, I gotta figure it out. Yeah, it, and he's then, been so good. Like I, it's just yeah. I, the way you said it is good. It just seems like there's there's a little bit more for them for him to take off the table. Uh, like
2: it, it, it shot selection, I think is a thing, and you kind of hit on started to hit on it there. On offensive rebounds in the post, there there are times when like he'll put up like a 12 or 13 foot hook shot or, you know, sort of, sort of a turnaround shot. And he'll go after that so aggressively that you're like, okay, that's how you go after a five to seven footer, but not be so eager to create that shot in that 11, 12, 13 foot range. And so I think there's something to, um, ha- you know, having an opportunity to bring even more value offensively by knowing okay, I'm, I'm not creating as high of a value shot when I'm shooting from 10, 11 feet on this hook shot. So I'm going to kick it out to someone else as opposed to working to try to get that shot off, you know, as compared to when he's, you know, three, four, five feet. And that's probably the easiest, the lowest hanging fruit in his game that I think that it exists there. Um, but that's something to, to I think, to watch as they kind of, you know, start kind of, you know trying to really secure a really good playoff seed and at the same time the closer you get get ready to play in the playoff in you know, environment to see if they the coaching staff starts to challenge him to kind of be more selective and be a little bit um more efficient with even what he's shoot, how he's choosing to attack you know offensively and, and with the ball so you know it's i think that's the lowest hanging fruit but it's nice that you have that situation with a player who's already bringing some of the other things and bringing good impact in other areas of the game, so it's, um, I, I think it's all good. <laughs> Even the opportunity to get better, I think it's a, a part of his overall positive value to the team.
0: Yeah, and one, one of the things it's like, you you look at this Hawks team, it's like okay, they've got Trey, and you know they've had a bunch of injuries, but they have just really good wing depth and they've figured out how to make it work with two bigs like john has played well next to clint uh the the whole john clint pairing you know has done so much for them rebounding wise and defense wise Um, and it's like well when you have all that you know where are things going a little bit uh haywire you know what doesn't work and i think early in the season it's like, you know, the Hawks had two guys on the floor in Collins and Capella who did the right things offensively, but they're just not very good passers. And I think incrementally both have gotten better, like, especially like Capella over the course of the road trip. You could just see him making reads and, and getting the ball to the right places instead of just having complete blind spots. So I, I think that's actually gotten
2: better for him too. So Yeah, and even Collins and Capella passing to each other. The last five, six games, it feels like, has been – I mean, it just looks like it's been a point of emphasis in terms of something they've been working on because it's really been kind of night and day from where it was the first 15 games of the season or or what have you. Um, So it's a shame that John went down, you know, right (laughs) when they were kind of – their chemistry was really starting to pick up. And then even, you know, another layer of that is John had been driving toward the rim when Capella was kind of in the restricted area or in the paint. And instead of saying, I don't need to go in there because Clint's going to be tying the space up, seeing Clint as uh, kind of a shield from, you know, an additional defender getting to him. So there was, I think the, that chemistry was coming along a lot. Hopefully John's not going to miss a, a ton of time and they can pick right up where they left off. Because I think that was one of the most interesting areas that was coming along in a positive way uh, on this road trap uh, for me. Um
0: Yeah, I'm just going to throw crazy shit against the wall here. Um, The Hawks are decimated with injuries, so this is probably, no, you're just an idiot. Um, But let me put this out there. Is there any way that the fact that uh, the Hawks didn't go to the bubble last season helps them? Just in terms of... It's... You know the the seasons have been very close together. The off season was very short, so those teams that play deep in the playoffs, uh, they're they're going to have played an awful lot of basketball in a short period of time, um, and and it, even of course the Hawks have too. But they didn't, you know, they had that long stretch from like March to December, where they didn't have to. Is is there any way that you know? Once these guys do get healthy, you know, you got some small nagging things with with Trey and John at this point. Um, You know, uh, the Hawks don't have a whole lot of players who went deep into the last postseason. Uh, You might have Lou Williams in there. Uh, Maybe somebody else. Am I missing somebody? No, Snell didn't. I don't know. But is there any way that... uh, somehow they're fresher from ha- from not having gone to the bubble
2: I think that's a thing but I think I, I think like every week of this season the field is kind of catching up with them in terms of this season kind of being taxing for everyone and so I think I, my guess is that was a bigger benefit earlier in the year um, now on the flip side teams that brought back a bunch of you know, the, the same players and the same roster got that continuity bump because there was basically no preseason. Teams with younger players that didn't get the summer league to, you know, get acclimated at all. So there's like – it's it's so hard to kind of pin down, like, who benefited from this more than others. I, I definitely think the teams went, went really, really deep last year. Like, Jimmy Butler didn't play much at all early this right. year, you know. I know, I think he became a dad for the first time right before the season started too, but I don't think it was just that. I think he, massive, massive workload last year, you know, for him and with a deep run that Miami made. Um, But, you know, I I think that was a benefit early. I think that probably the benefit from that is dissipating about right now if it hadn't already. And now I think every team is about equally gassed (laughs) at this point in the season and just exhausted. Um, I, you know, specifically my instinct is that Trey probably needs to sit two or three times the rest of the way to keep him safe and kind of in in a good place. Like I said earlier, I think Lou maybe allows him to do that more comfortably than, you know, than they would be looking at without that trade. but you know, for me, it's you know they didn't get the preseason, nine new players, and then they made a coaching change. I think the the possibility that they could start peaking at just the right time, I think that's a real possibility in terms of getting the full roster back. Hopefully, Hunter will get back. You know, in the next you know two to three weeks, if not before. You know, I have no idea what to think of Reddish, but I'm not sure. Um, that he's as crucial as, like, even Bogdanovich is right now, even though they're missing point-of-attack defense a ton, and Cam can bring a lot there. Um, But if you kind of look at how things might be lining up, I think the bigger benefit might be that they had enough disruption along the way with injuries and a coaching change that they could really possibly start to start feeling really good about themselves collectively at the right time, get their, you know, full rotation, you know, fully back, if not everybody but one guy like Cam back right at the right time. You know, we're, you know, two thirds of the way through the season now and then, you know, very hopeful that they're gonna be well in the playoff field. So I think the benefit really is in that where other teams maybe are have already gotten sick of each other and have you know had got have the mundane of last season and <laughs> the club the coming into the season
0: lou, lou had a big smile on his face like god the clippers hate each other
2: <laughs> yeah i yeah I he, he mentioned uh
0: how, how nice it was and how, you know what a pleasant atmosphere it was and it's like <laughs> on the down low was that was that a reflection of where he
2: left i i think it was i think there's enough smoke around the clippers you know, team around guys just not getting along, guys not enjoying each other, and uh, you know, I, I know, I mean, I've just heard that Kawhi is a, a bit of a different type of you know alpha player on a team, and especially now being in LA, and I've never been the biggest Marcus Morris fan in terms of a guy who's gonna like really help you stabilize. You, know. I have a whole that's a that's for a different. Flippers podcast or if, if by some random chance. That the Hawks need to a Marcus
0: Morris, though, because, like, last night I was getting pretty tired of Hernan Gomez swinging his arms through anyaka Kongu's head.
1: Yeah, <laughs> post
0: accidents.
1: They,
2: they need someone to handle that situation, but my vote is that it's someone besides Marcus Morris <laughs> for, <laughs> for a number of reasons. Um, but, I mean... So yeah, I mean, my hope is that you know, coming off the four and four road trip, coming back home, get their full rotation back, hopefully, um, acclimate to new coaching leadership, really settle into what the game plan is on both ends of the court, and to start, you know, really starting to peak at just just the right time. I don't think any I don't think any rational fans are thinking that they're going to be playing in the conference finals or anything like that this year but I would love to see them go into a first round series where they've seated high enough to have a, a matchup where you know, either team could, you know, really has a, some sort of realistic chance of winning and they just give a really good first round effort. And then everything else is gravy, you know, it doesn't seem that doesn't seem like really far fetched to me, given how good they feel, how far the defense has come, what they've accomplished absent, you know, so many players, you know, um, Acclimating to the coaching change, it just it, it just feels like it, We could start to see them do some really good work, and to have that come along at the right time. So that to me is a bigger story than any bump or they might have, or any managers they might have on the field from not having played deep last year.
0: To 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 bring that full circle, uh, you mentioned the Morris uh, twins. Uh, you we saw last postseason. I think that. Uh, Luka kind of got manhandled in the playoffs right. and Dallas went and got James Johnson who we saw last night on the Pelicans be- right. uh, because he got traded from Dallas to the Pelicans uh, I guess you know did, maybe Dallas gave up on it do you do you need somebody you know I'm not trying to turn this into 1980s hockey but it <laughs> it felt real in the bubble at least that uh, some guys could get roughed up I I it felt like uh, it felt like the Mavericks didn't really stand up when Luca got tossed around last postseason.
1: Yeah, I, to if, me, if the, the a...
0: Hawks get to the playoffs, do they need somebody like that, or are teams going to try to go after Trey and say, you know what, let's see what happens after you take this hard foul?
2: I think they will. I mean, it, it, it certainly depends to a degree on who that opponent is because some teams are super physical, like the Knicks are crazy physical you know this year under tibbs yeah Uh, my miami can get super you know physical at times philly is really physical as well and that kind of all starts with the bead but you know simmons is kind of a chippy defender as well but in the dallas example you know i think that's one of the reasons they made the trade for josh richardson because richardson will mix it up and kind of go to toe with anybody and that's maybe what allowed them to send out Johnson for what they hope is an elite shooter and, and Reddick getting him back. Um, did the Hawks have, you know, I mean, the Hawks have so many guys on the roster. It's like, oh, that guy is so Rondo kind of mixed you know?
0: it up. Like, you could see him trying to get some people's. For sure. Like, if he felt like right. he had a mental edge over somebody, he would go for it. Like, he was just like, you know what, I'm going to get in your head tonight. Let's see what happens. Um, right. And that's I a said, separate like, thing. That's not really the physical intimidation thing. He, that was more of a just preying on somebody who's mentally weak. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, did, did, but with, is there anybody on this roster who makes you think, oh, yeah, no, nobody's going to toss Trey aside because, you know, player X uh, will will say something nice at, at that point?
2: You know, I hope so, but I don't know who it is. I don't know who that would be right now. Like, Clint is a big guy, but he's a sweetheart, right? I mean, who does more post-game media than, than Clint? Clint? Clint is like there almost every game um, and, you know, John, really, you know, kind of a positive guy, too, that not a lot of conflict even uh, on the court versus guys that are going at him kind of pretty hard. Lou is a, an absolute mercenary as offensive player, but he's also just a, a great guy in a gentle kind of way about him and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, Gallo's kind of in that same fold. Gallo's, Gallo know, will give him a hard foul. He, he will. He'll, <laughs> he, like he might
0: him. put somebody... He, he will give a hard foul now and then. He, he might yeah. be one of the, the, the sword to do it.
2: Yeah, he's just not going to follow it up with the scout. He's going be like, oh, I didn't see you there. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know, after the foul's over, he's going to be kind of gentlemanly about it. He's got some it's tree trunk
0: uh, arms. They're just, you know,
2: yeah. the big and grandma then, and, arms and coming then, through. Yeah, and then he might also be like, I can't move anymore. What do you want me to do? You do? I, I can't move, you know. But like with Morris. Like, last year he was, like, going after Millsap in the Denver series. And it's not just that we all love Paul for the work at Atlanta. Like, Millsap's, what, Denver's fifth most important player at this point? Fourth? I mean, at the, at the most, the fourth most important? Like, what are you doing? Like, trying to, like, you know, I, I could see if, like, Jamal's, you know, on a 35 piece in the third quarter and you want to, like, really get physical. But like, what are you doing? You know, so. Yeah,
0: it, that, that didn't work out so
2: well. No, and he, he doesn't know. He he doesn't know when to stop. And like with Rondo, yeah, he's gonna step up and like defend his teammates. But he's also gonna drive the referees crazy the whole game, which may not help you. You know, inc- <laughs> so you know there are there's this there's this aspect of these guys that go way overboard sometimes. And what comes with that helpfulness is the stuff that doesn't always help the team. Um, so you know who's the perfect guy in the league at that right now. You know, I, you know, I don't know. You know, I mean, Jimmy's got to be up there, or the guy who really knows where that line is and is really calculated uh, and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, but I, it's a gap um, that, um, that exists for the Hawks right now in terms of someone stepping up and really uh, – that, that looks like the obvious candidate to kind of step up and kind of take care of Trey in a situation like that. But hopefully, you know, when the situation calls for it, we'll see someone kind of step up and do something we haven't seen them do before. You know, doesn't mean it can't happen. It's
0: kind of crazy that we're even talking about that. I in know, bro. But yeah, they're they're kind of yeah. In that it's funny. Even standards. a
2: week ago, even a week ago, I felt like uh, play, play in, the plan looks like a really and now it just feels like no, they really have an opportunity to get above seven. You know? Yeah. Um, the Pacers keep. Sli- I mean, part of that is the Pacers keep slipping. The Celtics aren't really making any ground on the field. You know, those are the teams that have been up there the last few years. Yeah. And the the more that you see that not happening, you're like this. It's really open for them. It's really open for the Hawks. And now that they've gotten past the hardest part of the schedule, you're like, hey, the schedule looks not as bad. You know, the rest of the way. And so it. it I'm feeling more optimistic that they're going to you know have a shot to get five or six. You know. I don't know if they can do better than that. Um, I mean, the four spot is anybody's kind of game right now. I'm just going to be surprised if Miami doesn't figure it out. It's just how veteran they are, and how much experience they have, and things like that. But hey, the Hawks have what? They should, the Hawks should have two more games against them, and we'll have an opportunity to for those two. The results of those two games to have a real impact on. You know, if Miami can get some separation, like I think they will, probably, or not. You know, to, who knows? But uh, I'm yeah, I'm more optimistic than I was. Seems like even like a week ago, you know, getting that New Orleans win and, um, you know, getting the Spurs win, just wrapping up that road trip with getting getting two games that look didn't look automatic at all situationally. You know, was made a big difference.
1: All right.
0: Well, uh, thank you for doing this. We should do it again soon and uh, get ready for Kent Bazemore's uh, first. Game in Atlanta
2: since he left tomorrow. Yeah, I guess he's gonna get the video. The tribute, tribute yeah, right? the tribute video the must photogenic. be coming. Yeah, no, no shortage of material for that. He's so photogenic, and uh, they pro- yeah,
0: they could honestly, they maybe they made it last year, and they can just kind of bring it out this year. Like he didn't get, he didn't get a game in Atlanta last year with being traded and the pandemic. Uh, there were no.
1: Yeah.
0: He didn't. He didn't make it. So. Maybe maybe it's already yeah. on file. <laughs> yep. All right.
2: But yeah. will yeah. always be one of my favorites. So be fun to see fun to see him back. And uh, but I think it was I think I think we heard today Steph's going to play yeah. tomorrow. That's so a big different challenge difference than it was out there. Different. They not lose than by, by fifty three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a <laughs> a lot. Uh, They were down like 65 or something at one point. It's kind of crazy. But yeah. But uh, every game is supported the rest of the way, including tomorrow versus uh, the Warriors with stuff this time. All
1: right. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Kevin.